Hey, Brian Miller here, your host of Go and Make. I'm so excited for this conversation today with David Trotter from Focus, talking about what it means to be a missionary, some examples and stories of what it's meant in his own life and how you can do it in your everyday life at the parish. We also want to hear from you guys. So if you have questions or you have topics that you want us to address on the podcast, go ahead and email those into evangelization at archstl.org. That's evangelization at archstl.org. And finally, we want to help equip everyone we can to be disciple makers. So if you would, please share this podcast, like and subscribe on your podcast app and share this podcast with people in your parish, on your Facebook page, on Instagram, wherever it is that you do your social media, tell a friend about the Go and Make podcast. Can't wait for this great conversation. Hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Go and Make from the Archdiocese of St. Louis, equipping you to live the great commission of Jesus Christ to go and make disciples of all nations. All right, welcome back to the next episode of Go and Make. I am so excited today for our guest. It's a guy I've known for a long time. It's someone who I've seen live a great evangelical witness and someone who's helped mentor me and walk with me in my own faith journey. We are here with David Trotter. So Dave, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Brian. It's great to be here with you. So good. It's so good to see old friends. Back in the loo. Absolutely. Dave serves with Focus, the Fellowship of Catholic University Students. And you've been with Focus for how long? Almost two decades. So my wife and I joined staff in 2005 as I was getting ready to graduate from University of Kansas. And uh, Focus, Fellowship of Catholic University Students, and they have some big events coming up in here in St. Louis. We're going to talk about that a little bit at the end. The SEEK Conference, January of 24. Can't wait. We're going to have over 20,000 people in St. Louis. So we'll talk about the role of SEEK and events and conversion, what that looks like, too. Sure. But where we're going to go today, I want to talk a little bit about your own faith story, where you've been in your faith story, uh, and really how you've seen evangelization happen. Just focuses on the front lines of evangelization on the college campus. So maybe for our people who aren't familiar with Focus, can you tell people what Focus is sure. and, and, and where they serve? Sure. So uh, broad strokes, Focus, as you mentioned, Brian, stands for the Fellowship of Catholic University Students, started in 1998 by a man by the name of Curtis Martin. Uh, the way that it got launched Funny enough, Mother Angelica had Curtis Martin and Scott Hahn on EWTN, and so they were down there just for an interview with Mother Angelica, and while they're on TV, she goes, so Curtis, tell us about Focus. <laughs> and he looks at Scott Hahn and was like, okay, Something I guess we're, dreaming up I guess we're gonna launch about, this yeah, now, right, you know? Yeah. Uh, so it started with two missionaries, on one college campus, Benedictine College, your alma mater. Shout out in. People are going to get tired of it. It's probably going to happen every episode, but that's okay. They send out great graduates like yours truly right right here. That's right. Uh, And uh, so started there in 1998, two missionaries, one campus. Today, fast forward 25 years later, we have 958 missionaries serving on 235 campuses in six countries around the world. And so uh, this massive missionary movement. Really, I think what you could say is the fruit of what John Paul II called for, the new evangelization, uh, is really taken to heart. And what we're seeing is young people responding to the gospel in ways almost unheard of today in our woke culture. 
You know, you think of the university campus. environment, oh, hostile to the yeah. faith, teaching all kinds of crazy things. You want, you want to go to a scary place, step foot on a university campus. Been there, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it and, wasn't and here like we that are. as much at Benedictine, but the, the ones I served at, it was a whole different... And how many different schools did you serve at, I was at three different schools. Three different schools. So I was at University of Nebraska, Omaha, St. Thomas in Houston, Texas, then here at Wash U in in St. Louis for two years. Which, you know, uh, secularly speaking, great schools. But in terms of are those places that are really fostering... Christian values and virtues, Catholic there formation. There's not many college campuses you know, that do. Yeah, you know, right? so you have, and, and what's great about it, Wash is a great example, right? Father Gary's been there for such a long time, and you have the heart of the Catholic faith on campus with the Catholic Center. But then what Focus does is come alongside and be the arms and legs to go out to the peripheries of campus, meet students, win them over to friendship win them over to faith, and then bring them back to the Catholic Center to get reconnected with our Lord through the sacraments, through retreats and spiritual direction, and then equip those students to go out and be evangelists to their peers. I think that's one of the things I've really fallen in love with, uh, this model that Focus trains our missionaries in, is not just to be faithful, we're all called to be faithful, but to be faithful and fruitful. Right, Jesus' great commission to go make disciples of all nations. We're called by virtue of our Catholic baptism to go and be missionaries. And so many people, it, we you know, we're drawn to receiving, receiving, and that's important. But also that other action of how do I share my faith with others? How do I accompany others deeper in their journey with the Lord? So being faithful and fruitful. Right, and it's really through you know, Lighting called it relational ministry when yes. I was coming up. Right through that person to person. Uh, connection, St. Paul, right? First Thessalonians 2, 8, one of the core verses of focus. I loved you. We love you so much that we not only wanted to share the gospel with you, but we also shared our very selves. Yeah. And I think focus is really the embodiment of what that is because these missionaries go out and they make friends with the students on campus, you know, and, and it's authentic friendship. This is one of the pillars of focus talk about, but like it's real authentic friendship and it's not just, it's not utility. It's not use of like, I'm just using you to build up the Bible study or whatever, but we love them. We want the best for them. And so we challenge them yeah, in, in real and in powerful ways. So before we get back into focus and what they're sure. doing, tell me about just, you know, give me like the, the three minute version of David Trotter's conversion story. Why do you care about making disciples? Yeah. Well, I think so much of it started at, a, at an early age for me. I grew up here in St. Louis, Hazelwood Central High School. Just represent before anyone asks. Up in right. North County, yeah, right. you know, uh, but I'm kind of an anomaly in that I did not grow up Catholic. So, you know, St. Louis, awesome Catholics all over the place. I didn't grow up Catholic here. Uh, didn't know much about the Catholic faith at all, but my parents taught me who is Jesus. They taught me how to read the Bible. They taught me how to pray. So, you know, going into college is great. So maybe it's foundation good you Catholic, of faith. We don't always do that as well. And the Catholic uh, church sometimes we're fixing that. We're getting better. You're yeah, fixing exactly. that here. We're trying. We're trying. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, going into college with kind of that foundation, but just like a typical college student early on freshman year, just kind of checked my faith and said, all right, God, you could be over here and got swooped up in it. Um, and that's really probably the best way to describe it. Got swooped up in it. You know, here I am hanging out with guys that lived on my dorm floor and we're going out partying all the time. And I remember uh, towards the end of freshman year, we're out at this lake uh, down in beers, getting hammered. And I'm looking around and these guys are goofing off. And I'm thinking, I'm not having fun. 
I'm, I'm made for something more. This isn't for me. I'm somebody other than this. Like, this isn't going to get the job done for me. I'm looking for something more. It's that St. Augustine, right? Our hearts are restless, and you are feeling it. Yes, yeah. that restlessness, right? Yeah. But I didn't really know where to turn to until I came across this girl who was really cute <laughs> and really Catholic, and I was neither of those. And uh, so we start hanging out, and I'm, like, pepping her with all these questions about Catholic stuff. and Trying to uh, prove her wrong. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. You yeah. know, if I could just get her to read the Bible, she won't be Catholic anymore. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, she got me on that. Uh so introducing me to people at the Catholic Center there, and uh, and some some people uh, here on the podcast may have heard of Holy Family School of Faith out of Kansas City with a, a guy by the name of Mike Scherzlick. He does a rosary podcast that a lot of people follow. Well, this is years ago. He was a campus minister at the Catholic Center at KU and really invested his life in me. And uh, as it turns out, I found out years later, he went to... Uh, Steubenville, he got his message at Steubenville with Scott Hahn and Curtis Martin and Jeff Cavins. He had this group of guys, yeah, you know, right. so I, I feel so blessed to be a recipient of them continuing to invest their lives and pass the faith on to others. So there I am, I'm learning all about the Catholic faith, meeting with Mike over a period of years, and really came to this juncture of, okay, is Jesus really present in communion, like what Catholics are claiming. Like, does this piece of bread really become the body of Jesus? And I spent a, a, a several months wrestling with that in prayer. And I remember I studied architecture. And so the, the walk from the architecture building back to where I lived, you went right by the Catholic Center at KU. And so I'm walking back at two o'clock in the morning and saw a sign on the door, Eucharistic Adoration, which I had heard about, right? Yeah. From being around. And I thought to myself, okay, it's two o'clock in the morning. No one's going to know if I go in here. Because you don't want to be a Protestant being seen going into the Catholic Church for oh, yeah. Eucharistic adoration, right? Oh, you have yeah. a reputation to uphold here. You know? <laughs> so I go in, scared to death, kneel down. There's one other guy way up in the front. I'm kneeling in the back pew, and I'm looking up at the Blessed Sacrament. And I remember vividly praying, all right, God, I don't really know what's going on here. If that is not you and that piece of bread and this gold thing on the altar, you need to send me a sign. You need to strike me with lightning or something <laughs> because I don't want to worship an idol, right? I knew better than that. I'm not going to engage in idol worship. But if that is you, Jesus, if that really is you, then you need to come in and change my life. And I wasn't struck by lightning. Thanks be to God. <laughs> but also it wasn't like some mystical, you know, angels appearing or visions or whatever. It was just this peaceful time of prayer. So I thought, okay, so the next week I went back, and I went back again and again and again. I started going all the time, and I'm sure you've had experiences like this in prayer where it's like these things that you're wrestling with, the Lord just started solving those issues in my life because I was spending time with him. Yeah. And I thought after that, I was like, all right, Jesus, this is you, and I'm, I want to go all in. And there's peace, right? I mean, I mean, it's really the fruit of prayer becomes peace that you're not—you you feel God's presence— it's not going to, maybe you didn't hear the voice of God in a profound way like some people actually do, right? Yeah, Which is pretty cool. That's I'm, right. I'm kind of jealous of those people. <laughs> um, but when you have this profound sense of peace that the restlessness starts to go away yeah. because you you see God, you're with God, and he's, he's actually in your, in your heart in a new way. Yeah. And I think the way you're talking about that, that restlessness all of a sudden turns to peace, right? It's like Jesus... The disciples in the boat on the Sea of Galilee in the storm with Jesus, and they recognize it's Jesus and the calm that comes from that, right? And so I think at that point, I remember telling Aaron, we were engaged at the time, and I, I said, hey, I, I'm going to become Catholic, and I just want to warn you, like, I'm not going to be your average 
Catholic. I'm all like, in, baby. We're going all in. <laughs> <laughs> I've known you for a long time, and I think that's the only way you know how to do things. Full throttle, so you know. Right, yeah. It has been the best adventure ever. Okay, so it's just a snapshot of that, right? Because some people, uh, probably not the folks that are listening to us today, but there's people out there that think Catholicism is old and boring and put on the shelf, right? My experience with the faith was so different than that. Within a 12-month period of time, became Catholic, got engaged, turned down awesome job offers with uh, for architecture and became a focused missionary. Aaron and I moved to a city where we'd never been. We got married and we got pregnant all within 12 months. And it was just like this Whirlwind, explosion yeah, of right. grace. And it has been the best adventure ever. The best adventure ever, right? You want to talk about having a front row seat to watch God work miracles in people's lives in my own in yours, if, we, if we've gotten to spend time over the years, you know, and you've gotten to see this in, yeah. the, in the lives of other men and women, I, it's just unbelievable. I tell people all the time, you know, I go out to a lot of parishes and are visiting with different groups of people and, and talking to folks and, you know, our church is dying. And I said, that has not been my experience of the church. Like I have yeah. had a front row seat in my life, in my ministry to the hope of the church, you know, and being involved with youth ministry over the years and young adult ministry and focus and just seeing what the Lord does in individuals' lives and then how those become movements that really start yes. to grow. It's been, it's been incredible. So when I go out, I, I, I see myself as uh, a missionary of hope, right? To, to give people that hope and confidence in the church that the Lord is still here and the Lord is still moving in ways that you might not see from the back row and all you're looking forward and you see is gray hair. And I, love people with gray hair. I learn a lot in my faith from people with gray hair and I'm, I'm getting a couple in here. I was going to say, you know, they're, they're coming. I mean, you're gonna, I'm learning from I'm you today. Some. And you've got some of these. That's not a shot, but like if that's all, if that's your only experience of the church is that church where you don't see the vibrancy, um, you got to kind of go looking for it sometimes. That's what Focus yeah. does so well. And that's why we're so blessed to have Seek here this year. If you can come down to the Seek conference and see yeah. 20,000 college students on their knees before the Lord in adoration. It's just, it's unlike, it's absolutely unlike anything else. Well, kind of to that point, you know, uh, a lot of people, their experience of faith, of Catholicism is sitting, you know, very quiet, hands folded in the pew on your knees. And there's time for that, That's right? Important, yeah. That quiet reverence is important. But and I like those times, but I also like the times of taking a group of guys to play racquetball and wiping the floor with them, you know, <laughs> and then afterwards and everyone's out of breath and, and super sweaty, you know, sitting there and saying, all right, what's the Lord doing in your life? And have a heart to heart conversation with them after that. Right. That's that doesn't take place within the walls of a church building. It feeds into that. But our faith is so dynamic and vibrant that it ripples out from there. You know, and uh, and then and that that's the stuff I absolutely love. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times in our parishes, we do this. We go, we open the doors, and we say, "Come on in, we're here." And we look around, and we're sad that no one's there. Yeah. But what we need to be do doing, what we need to do, is we need to be sent out. Yeah. And we need to go out after the lost sheep, the the father who leaves the ninety nine in search of the one, and that's who we are as that's missionaries. Right. And you don't have to be a formal missionary to live that mission every day. So I, I love always hearing these conversion stories from people 
and I want to make it like a central part of our discussions here every time because it's so important for people to realize that there's no two stories that are exactly the same. Yes. There's no formula, right? You walked in and realized that Jesus was there in the Eucharist. That's actually kind of unusual, like that, that his real presence was there. And you've been wrestling with it and you had just this like kind of divine inspiration that this is really Jesus. That doesn't happen for most people. Different people experience it in different ways. And so many times it's through asking those questions to people and trying to lead them along and that, you know, we're not the agent of conversion. It's the Holy Spirit. Yeah. But we're trying to help people be disposed to receive the Holy Spirit by being in a place where they can hear his voice regularly and where they're challenged to think about things and God can move inside their own hearts. We can't force conversion on anyone. Well, and that's kind of one of the other things I I hope we get into during our time today is that, yes, I had that time of prayer at Eucharistic Adoration, but that that was after years of me and Mike Schurzlick sitting down, talking. Just talking. And him asking critical questions of me that no one else was asking. My mm-hmm. professors weren't asking. The guys on my dorm floor weren't asking. No one else was asking me this stuff. And I had to sit back and think about it and say, I, I don't know. I need to think about that. Right? Does Here's a great example. Is there such a thing as absolute truth? Right. It's right. under attack. Does anybody ask that yeah. question today? Is anybody really, you know, can you sit down and wrestle with that with someone and share viewpoints and, you know, asking these critical questions that begin to open up the door for curiosity? And so I just kind of want to temper that a little bit because it was a very powerful time of prayer. But those conversations, for the community yeah. that was getting built, the people who the Lord was placing in my life to accompany me on that journey was was all a, a major piece of it. Yeah, you, you mentioned the word accompaniment. That's a, obviously a big theme in the church and walking with people. And it's about knowing where people are in their lives. When you know them well, you know what they're wrestling with and you know what questions to ask them because you see it manifesting itself in their life. So it's not just this programmatic approach where we say, well, here's the truth. Like a lot of people want to conflate apologetics and evangelization as yeah. the same thing. And apologetics is really important. And actually that's some of the stuff you were wrestling with ahead of time. Yeah. Where is this in the Bible? Where is this, where is, you know, magisterium and all these different things in the Eucharist and the Trinity, you know, the Trinity's not in there either, right? You know, in the same way, or, you know, like we have all these different ideas about what's in the Bible expressly defined and, and things like that and different doctrines. We want to, we want to know those things, but sometimes it's what cuts the heart is, is what can hold us back from that conversion. And yeah. we have to be able to speak into people's lives by knowing them and loving them really well. So it's, it, it takes on different shape in every relationship. But I think being an evangelist, being a missionary is about looking for those opportunities to ask those critical questions. It's not assuming someone else is going to do it. It's about loving them enough that like, I care about your soul and I care about you experiencing God's grace and mercy right now in your life. And it'll make a difference in your life. Your life's not always easier when you follow Jesus, but it is better. You know, I love how you said yeah. that. We explain a little bit more what you mean when well, your life with Jesus isn't always easier, yeah, but it's, well, it's better. Not, it's not this, you I know, love it's that. Not this gospel of prosperity. Just because you love Jesus doesn't mean you're going to win the lottery and pay off all your debts and, and everything's going to go well. Like to follow Christ means to embrace the cross. Yeah. Right. And he took on suffering to redeem it for us because he knew we were going to suffer. Like that's just, yeah. that's just how the world works. 
and it gives meaning to our suffering in different ways. So it doesn't all, you know, but you know, there's hope at the end of it, right? And hope does not disappoint, right? If you read Romans five, you know, so when we have that hope, that eternal hope, it changes the perspective of everything else we're doing. So not always easier. And sometimes, sometimes it means that our dynamics and friendships and relationships change a little yeah. bit. Sometimes it means you have to, to pass up an opportunity to make money because it's not an ethical or moral decision. Like there are so many different things that it can be hard to be a follower of Christ, but the reward is unbelievable. Yeah. And one of the images that was really powerful for me on that, uh, especially this summer, I, I got to do a retreat. I had never gone through the Ignatian exercises before. And so spent a couple of days in silence going through those. And, and you, you moved in French for such a long time. You accompanied me through a time of some very intense suffering in my life a, a number of years ago. And for such a long time, it was like embrace the cross, embrace the cross. And that suffering scared me. But one of the meditations on the retreat really went over when Jesus says, you know, take, take my burden upon you for my burden is easy and, and my yoke is light. And it, in the meditation, it talks about that yoke not being like me putting on the yoke by myself. You know, you, you picture the oxen with the single yoke. No, it's actually a, a two, two oxen yoke, right? And when, when farmers would use a two oxen yoke was when the soil was harder to till up or when they're trying to train a younger oxen on how to plow the field. And so you think about being in that yoke looking next to you is Jesus and he's carrying the brunt of that load. And you're the young, you're the young oxen learning how to plow the field. And it's a difficult field, but he's the one that's carrying the brunt of that load. And you're right in there with them and you're walking together. For me, that was so helpful because yeah, it's not easy, but it's so much better to be in the yoke with Jesus than to try to do it all by myself. Let's talk a little bit about just kind of practical evangelization and what it looks like too, because so you, you've done that, you've followed Christ, you've, you know, learned to embrace suffering and that takes some time sometimes too. So you, you come and you meet Jesus and then you're sent out on mission on campus with focus and just as a missionary in your life. Cause you, you, you can't keep it to yourself cause you love Jesus so much, right? You're all in. Yeah. So focus uses this model on campus of win, build, send. Can you talk a little bit about what that is and how maybe even just practical examples of, what you've seen and how it how it works in students' lives. Because you know, one of the things we want to do on this conversation always is we want to try to be practical. And I can get into these theoretical conversations all the time and, and talk about strategy and this and whatever, but I want to leave people some really like inspiration of what can I actually do in my life? So sure. talk about the model a little bit and how you've seen it play out, and then we'll we'll get into some practical tips at the end here too. Sure. And I love the way that Focus frames it. It's a it's a simple and repeatable model, win, build, send. But it really wasn't, you know, Curtis Martin drawing up these ideas or or even from other organizations. It, we can go right back to scripture. This is something that Jesus lived. It doesn't say the words win, build, sin in the scripture, but if we watch what Jesus did, we pay attention to his actions. He won people over through friendships, through entering into their life, asking great questions, walking through the fields and going camping with them, right? He built them up in smaller groups. You think about the times that he spent with the 12 apostles, investing heavily in them, and then he sent them out to make disciples of all nations. And so the, so focus the way that we train our missionaries is the exact same model, right? Right out of scripture. Okay, we want you to go out on campus. We want you to meet students, Catholic, non-Catholic, doesn't matter, right? When you're at the University of Alabama and you're out meeting students, 
you don't know their faith background until you ask that, but you're just meeting them. You're winning them over through friendship. I mentioned before racquetball. That was a great, a great tool I love to use to build friendship with students to win them over was playing racquetball. Uh, sometimes it's just knocking on the dorm room door or sitting down for lunch or going on a road trip. So winning people over through friendship, building them up. The model that kind of the model that Focus uses, we build students through small group Bible studies. And we do that because our missionaries aren't these brilliant theologians. I, I was an architecture I don't know major. What you're talking about, yeah. <laughs> you have a theology I degree, did though. Study so. theology undergrad. Yeah, right. You were the brilliant the theologian. Exception, exception to the rule. Most of our missionaries but. were not like you, Brian. Uh, it, but the scriptures, what, what is you know, scriptures cut to the heart, right? It's a double-edged sword, able to discern the thoughts and actions of the heart, the Word of God. And so we know that if we can help a young person encounter Jesus in the Word that he's going to start to work in their life. So we lead these small group Bible studies. Bible studies are led by missionaries, but also by students who we've trained. And then we send them out. We equip them with tools on how to evangelize their peers on campus. And in that model, what we do, the hope is doing that during a time while you're in college, then you can be launched into lifelong Catholic mission. So that when you enter into the seminary or when you enter into the parish or when you start in medical school, or you're, you start your accounting job, right? You're bringing that formation into the world where the Lord has planted you. So that's a little bit about what we're doing on, on campus. Okay, that sounds nice, but well, like, tell me, tell me a story. Tell me of someone okay. who, when you were a missionary, you went out and did Windbuild Sidewest. Sure. Well, I'll, I'll kind of share a couple different all ones, right? Because, right? right, right. and I and I want to hear some from you as well. So, uh, one brief story about when. Um, you know, we, this is the fall semester. Many of people just had a family member who moved onto a college campus, right? Focus looks at that and says the first 148 hours that a college student is on campus is such a critical window to get into their life. And making new friends, right? kind of deciding who you want to be. Oh, yeah. yeah. You're looking around like, what am I going to do here? So here we are. It's uh, the day after move-in day at University of Nebraska, and there's a young man who I'm mentoring. His name's Chris. So me and Chris uh, go, and we start knocking on doors in one of the freshman halls. And so we're knocking on doors just to meet with people. And uh, knock on the door. This guy kind of cracks the door open, and we're like, hey, you know, we're from the Catholic Center. Uh, how's it going? And he's kind of like talking through the crack a little bit. And I see on the wall is a poster from Top Gun. And my cousin flew F-18s. Really? I love the movie Top Gun. I yeah. love uh, F-18 fighters. So, um, you know, he's getting ready to close the door. I said, oh, my gosh, is that Top Gun? And he opens up a little bit more. And we start talking about the movie, start talking about flying F-18s. Next thing we know, we're hanging out in his room. Turns out this young man grew up Catholic Hadn't gone to mass in quite some time since, you know, confirmation eighth grade. And and here he is in college, uh, get his phone number. And we said, hey, we're going to be going to mass on Sunday. Can we come by and pick you up? You want to come with us? Started this awesome friendship with this guy. His name's Lee at the time. Lee gets super involved in one of the Bible studies months later, leads his own, and now is a, a, a Franciscan brother you know, uh, after graduation. So this like path of his own conversion and how'd that start? Just started through a knock on the door. That's where it came from. And somebody that was willing to build up friendship with them. Yeah, and Bible study is a good on its own. Like you said, like scripture sure. has power. 
But also we had Michael Hall from CCO on yeah. uh, recently, and he talked about the paradigm they use of you know people, programs, and paraclete, right? And in the middle yes. of when all the three those three come together, this idea of intentional accompaniment. That's the model of of Jesus and walking with people. Yeah. And so sometimes those programs can be a great excuse to invite someone or to walk with someone. Like the program isn't always going to do it itself. Yeah. But it's a reason to get involved in people's lives. For me, and when I was in Omaha, I just I spent so much time in the gym. So I, um, it was an interesting, <laughs> that's why not, you're not so working strong. out gym, basketball gym. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, right. No, um, just, you know, very strong. Right. But I spent so much time in the gym and I just met a bunch of guys in the gym playing pickup basketball and invite them into a Bible study. And, and it was, it was beautiful and it was amazing. It was our first year on campus. We'd never had focus there before. Uh, and the student center, when we got there was very small. It was like, you know, 10 to 15 kids meeting in a room one mile off campus. And actually the, the university didn't want us on campus as like a organization or whatever. So actually I just signed up for a class. So I, you know, my donors for focus made it possible for me to enroll in choir. I took choir. <laughs> and, uh, and if you've heard me sing, I love to sing, but I was maybe not a great addition to the choir. Uh-huh. Uh, and I, I, you know, Adam Ybarra and I took choir together so we could have student IDs and we went and just spent time in the student See, union and brilliant. we just found people and had the excuse of pick, pick up basketball to spend time and meet this great group of freshmen. And I had this amazing freshman Bible study. And those guys, again, like they are still, you know, Jared and Travis, like, like they're, they're still on that journey of discipleship because we brought them together. And now it's really beautiful too, because you see like from those small investments, that, you know, I left the next year, I went down to Texas and I didn't get to continue that Bible hmm. study, but mm-hmm. another missionary stepped in and walked with those guys. And, and I actually learned some lessons there too, because I didn't always make the, the transition easy because sometimes the, the friendship would become about me and not oriented towards Christ. And that's a big difference. That repeatability yes. it was like a huge lesson learned. Like one of the guys did drop off after I left because, because I hadn't been as intentional in challenging him to to really radically change his life. I was like, we're getting there. We're laying the foundation. But then I was gone and the new missionary didn't have the relationship to challenge hmm. him. And, and that guy kind of drifted away. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe he's not going to Bible study anymore. You know? Um, so that was a great lesson learned. And then, but with that too, uh, the next year they got a, a, a chaplain at University of Nebraska Omaha named Father Paul Hazing, who's the rector of our seminary. Oh, here. that's a familiar and name. I always give him a hard time to say, you know, whatever you guys built there, you know, I was there the first year of focus. We laid the foundation for you, and he just rolls his eyes because Father Hazing is incredible and gifted oh, yes. and talented. But to see that that we had ten to fifteen students meeting off campus a mile away, but a couple years ago they built a Catholic dorm at this state school, yeah, with a Newman Center in the basement and a chapel in there, and the community is. It's unimaginable what it is now. I, I can't even fathom. You never could have convinced me that that's what would have happened from that simple investment of doing surveys on campus, trying to meet students, and going out and out, going out and, and playing basketball and inviting people into Bible study. If I could just pause on that and, and highlight a really important point there, Brian. You didn't start by building a brand new Newman Center and no. say, "Come on, guys." And actually, when you started. You said 10 to 15 students, and a lot of times it's easy for us to write that off and be like, you want to change the culture, and you're starting with 10 to 15 students? Like, come on. But that mustard seed approach over and over again we see in Scripture, it's a mustard seed approach. It, it, you start small. One of the phrases that we use with our missionaries, we call it the little way of evangelization. It's small. 
right? You look at a guy like St. John Paul II, a hero for faith, a man of who the world is not worthy of, right? Where did some of that start from, from him? Obviously from his own father and the relationship he had with his father in the household growing up, but it came from a young man by the name of Jan Taranowski, some no-name guy that got a handful of young boys together to pray the rosary and invest his life in them, teach them how to pray, give them a heart for the Lord and for the church and for the sacraments, and then send them out. Like that was the beginnings of that for St. John Paul II. How many of us can be a Jan Taranowski? How many of us can start with just a handful of people with the faith in the eyes that say, okay, we know where this is going. We're on mission to change the world, to change our culture for Jesus Christ in the church. But the way I start is not the flip the switch, hit the masses. It's investing deeply in just a handful of people. So I love, and I love parishes because there's so many things that go on at parishes that bring us together that we have the opportunities to be so engaged in people's lives. But it's about having that intentionality of where we're trying to lead them and trying to open them up to God's grace and the Holy Spirit. Again, I can't force that conversion. I can't do any of it, but I can ask the questions, but it's about beginning with the end. It's like the Stephen Covey business, you know, seven there habits. We go. We're beginning with the end in mind. That's right. Right? That's so right. So we, we know that this is where we want to lead people because we want Jesus in their lives. So um, if someone is in a parish, right, let's get, let's get, let's get like practical here yeah. for a minute. If someone's in a parish and they want to live this focus model or they want to live, you know, forget the focus model. I don't, I don't care about the focus model. No, <laughs> the, the Jesus model, right? That's who, no, that's who it's, that's who it's modeled. Right? Yeah. They want to live this model, win, build, send that Jesus did in his yeah. own life. What are like, what are like three or four things they could do in their life very practically, not conceptually, just to go do, yeah. to start, Trying to evangelize. Okay, so I'm going to give the three, okay. and I'll walk through each one if that's sure. all right. Okay, sure. so number one, pray. We're going to talk about that practically, because you hear that all the time. Oh, you need to pray. I'll give you some very practical things. Number two, learn how to ask critical questions, and we'll, we'll unpack that. And then the, then the last piece has to do with sharing life. So if, if it's all right, we'll kind of go through those yeah, two yeah. things. Okay, yeah. so pray. One of my favorite things to do on campus, we called it Power Hour. Now, be careful how you use that phrase. That's right. Because some people... show up with a beer bong and like ready to go, you know? <laughs> that was not our power. Our power was a little bit different, right? Well, we did. And we did it in a group. It wasn't just me on my own, right? So you find find another person. Find another partner in crime or a wingman or, or someone else who wants to engage in this journey with you or, or a group of people. And we said, all right, what is going to be a sacrificial hour for us? So we picked Friday morning at 5 a.m., and we would meet and we would go on location to different parts of our campus, not just the Catholic Center. We went out to the peripheries. We went outside the frat house. We went to the corner of campus. We went to the football stadium. And we spent 30 or 45 minutes praying, doing what's called intercessory prayer over the people in that place. Right. So we would say, say, all right, God, we're here at the football stadium. There's a huge game this weekend. We just ask that you send your Holy Spirit to to encounter people here at the game, that they may come to know the truth, the way and the life. We were just praying for that event that was going to happen. One of the times we buried holy medals on the four corners of campus, right? Because we know, and you, you said this earlier, the Holy Spirit is a principal agent of evangelization. Not Brian Miller, even though you're awesome. I'm trying. Not Dave yeah, Trotter. That's right. Because I have a lot of you're weaknesses. Awesome too. No, yeah. It's the Holy Spirit. And if we pray, and if we beg God to show up, what does it look like to beg God to show up? And so this idea of power, right? 
okay, that's great. We're doing adoration at our parish. Highly, everybody should have a holy hour, an adoration time where you go in and do that. But what would it look like if you went and you prayed on location within the parish boundary, different places? You know, could you do a rosary walk and walk around in the neighborhoods begging God to show up, right? The other piece about prayer is to be steeped in the sacraments. Our missionaries on campus, we commit to a daily holy hour, daily mass, daily rosary. This relationship with Jesus begins to fill up and then overflow onto those around us. We can't give what we don't have. John chapter 15 is a great chapter to be meditating through about this in terms of our connection to the Lord and then letting his love and his life spill over to those around us. So, and to be specific too. And I think like, you know, I love like trying to take like business principles and put them into the church and evangelization, right? But like yeah. circle of influence versus circle of concern, right? I am concerned. I want to evangelize the whole world. Like, I think this is, this is my mission. Like I want to live the great commission and go and make disciples of all nations, right? It's, yeah. The show is called go and make. This is, this is exciting, <laughs> you know, but I can't actually do that. Yeah. You know, that's the Lord's work, but but what can I do and who can I pray for? So to also pray specifically, okay, Lord, put on my heart the people that you want me to reach. Yeah. Like break my heart for them. You know what I mean? Like a heart for the lost. And and then when the Lord puts those names on your heart, right, you start to pray for them and you start to sacrifice for them. I love this yes. story. Ralph Martin did our men's conference a few years ago. Okay. Um, he's awesome. He's great. And, he, and he's talking about his adult children who are out of the church. He said, I had been praying for them, you know, come back and whatever. He goes, but when I started sacrificing for them and I started fasting intensely for them, they were both back in the church within a year. Or, yeah. I mean, something like some variation of that. But it was just like, but prayer and fasting and sacrifice. And it's like, I love that idea of discipleship. It's like, you know, I, I want to follow Christ. I want to give everything I have. But you're really a missionary when you're willing to make those sacrifices, not only to grow in your own faith, but for someone else to grow in theirs too. Well, and on that too, Brian, like it's not like you doing this on your own. I loved how you're saying earlier, you and Adam Yabara joined the choir together, oh, right? Man. Like you have you have someone yeah. else you're doing it with because if you did on your own, you, you just can't do it, right? So even now, like you look at your you and Liz and your family, like who who else is running with you? You've got other people that you've asked to be shoulder to shoulder with you in this mission. And I think that's important that we're not being asked to go out and do that on our own. We're doing it with the Lord. We're doing it with other friends uh, next to us. All right. We're going to be here all day if we keep okay. going. So let's next go point. to point number two. This is, you know, I just, it's just so easy to talk to you. Yeah. You know, this Likewise. Is great. Okay. Asking critical questions. And this is the fun stuff, right? We're, we're good friends. We know each other. We, this is a great space to ask and practice. What are questions that I can ask to help people pause and think, Right. And we were, we were talking about one earlier. Um, is there such thing as absolute truth? That was one that somebody asked me when I was in college. No one had ever asked me that question before, and I had no clue what the answer was. But it got me to stop and think, okay, does that even exist? Why not? Why does it? And get to wrestle with that right. a little bit. I don't know. What are some other critical questions that either you've asked others or that you can think of to help people just kind of pause and think. Well, I, I, one of my favorite ones is, well, when I meet someone for the first time, I always say, just tell me your life story. And it's kind of disarming. Okay. Like, well, how much do you want? I mean, I thought, what do we have time for? Well, you know, it depends on the context and things like that. But it's really, it's trying to get them to open up about just where they are in life. So the, my, one of my favorite questions, that's obviously just a very surface level one. Sure. But to go a little bit deeper, it's like, just tell me your, where you are in your faith. Tell me your faith story. And if you just say that, it's not accusatory. It's not saying, hey, do you go to church? It's yep. tell me where you are with God and where you see God moving in your life. And when you ask those sorts of questions, 
Um, again, because a lot of times the people we're trying to evangelize in a parish setting are people who are around the parish, yeah. but they're maybe not like deeply ingrained in the sacramental life or in relationship with Christ. So I think just asking people where they are in their faith journey can open up those conversations. And again, it's kind of a signal of intent. Like I care about you enough to ask you this. Yeah. One of my favorite questions that I like to ask, I had a, a group of uh, young men over to the house the other day. We we're having, having a beer. We're sitting there and just said, all right, Hey, why are you here? Now, you can answer that as existentially as you want. Why are you here on earth? Why do you exist? Why are you here in my house, in my living room right now? And some of them, that's where they said, I'm here because you invited me over. But some of those guys took that and they thought about a little bit more critically. And Okay, why am I even alive? Right, starting to ask there and then be prepared to propose. Let me ask a, a question on this. What happens if you ask somebody, tell me about your faith journey, and they just go off on Catholicism? I grew up Catholic, but I, I can't stand that anymore. You hypocrites, right? yeah. Right, so how usual, do you respond yeah. to that? Like, is that the time where you just come back and say, no, you're wrong, you need to... Like, how, how do you handle that when you ask the critical question and they answer it in a way that is either hostile or very anti-faith? Well, I go back to step number one, first of all, right? Okay. So I just say a prayer. So if someone starts, like, going that direction, it's like, okay, Lord, give me the words and... Heal the wound, because mm, I think I that usually, that usually when when there's a moment like that, there's something that has happened to them. Like they don't just hate. Usually they don't hate the idea of faith, right? Because people can see the good the church does and the way we care for the poor and all these things. Yeah, but it's maybe the wound is someone who professed to be a Christian and didn't live up to it. Yeah, and maybe it was a parent, maybe it was a sibling, maybe it was a, a good friend or, or whatever it was. But there's some kind of wound there. So you pray for the Lord to heal that wound, and then again you just keep asking questions and you, you try to, you kind of keep coming backwards to say like, well, tell me about why, or so I, I don't think you just want to tell them why they're wrong about the church. Yes. You want to figure out and kind of help them again. You can come back to the, the first questions of, well, okay, is there, you know, you have to do it all in one conversation either. I think that's important, but is there a God? Does he exist? Okay. If there's a God, what kind of God would it be? And then you can get into the, like the philosophical theological kind of things along the way and build that foundation. But it's also about having the trust to continue to have those conversations and realize you don't have to do it all at once. That, that word that you use there at the end, establish trust, yeah. as you're asking those questions, that is a critical component is to establish trust. So the response, if, if you're the response is, oh, you're thinking about that wrong. That doesn't really establish trust. Right. Asking the follow up questions. And then I think this goes to the, the third piece I wanted to explain in terms of like practical, tangible things is it's OK to not have a response or an answer to them, but to invite them to come and see, right? What does Jesus ask the disciples when they, f they first encounter him? Where and there's a little Lord? curiosity, where are you staying, Lord? Come and see, right? And this is the last part, sharing life. And this, I think, in our current climate and culture, we have to get over ourselves on this. Hmm. There's two different ways to share life. Number one is to invite people into your life. And number two is to enter into theirs. And I don't think we could, and you probably have talked about this uh, with other people, Brian, but like, I don't think we can emphasize enough how desperately lonely people are today, how lonely they are. Most, Henry David Thoreau said, most men and women lead lives of quiet desperation. And people today are lonely and they're looking, they want someone to enter into their life. They want to be invited into something. And so I think you get really creative about that. 
Uh, the other thing about life is that it's super messy. My wife and I have seven kids. We're going to have number <laughs> eight next messy. month. You come over to our house. It is not clean, right? Like, <laughs> And it's hard. It's hard for us to invite people over because my wife wants it to look spick and span. She wants to be proud of her house when people come over. But I'll tell you the most moving times is when people come over and our kids' toys are all over the place and the, the sink is full of dishes and people see Life is it's, messy. It's real. It's and authentic. And it's real. Yeah. Right? I'll never forget. I invited a young man to come over. Uh, he wasn't married, but we had we had a couple kids at the time. Came over for uh, as we're wrapping up dinner. He helped me do the dishes, helped me put my kids to bed, and then we sat down and talked for a little bit. And the next day he called and he said, I've never, I've never seen another man uh, put his kids to bed, and that had such an impact on me. Wow. That's the type of husband and father I want to be when I grow, when I get married. And I know that has stuck with him for years. And and it wasn't picture perfect. My kids were screaming and going crazy. I had to spank one of them. You know, it's like <laughs> it's messy. But that is inviting him to enter into that with me. Doing dishes with your kids. These are simple things, but it is sharing life. It's doing right. those and activities it's our together. Faith isn't compartmentalized. It's not. I'm a Christian at church. I'm a Christian at Bible study. I do all these things here, and then when I go home. It's something else. It's it's something that we have to live. This is what discipleship is. It permeates every part of our life. Yeah. When we can model that for people and invite them into it, it it changes everything. I'll share two quick stories here at the end that kind of illustrate the power of this. Right. Okay. So there's a young man who I'm walking with. I'm, he and I are in discipleship together. I've been mentoring him for a little bit. His name's Chris. Uh, and, and we're on this mission for evangelization. And one of the guys that we consistently pray for is Chris's younger brother, Scott. Scott got way into the alcohol and drug scene, not going to mass at all, want nothing to do with the faith. And we're praying that God just opened a window for him, right? So one night after mass, Scott shows up with this really cute girl. We're all going out for dinner afterwards, and Scott shows up. We're like, oh my gosh, this is the answer to prayer. Here he is. And, and, and then he starts coming, not to mass, but after mass regularly. So a group of us come together, and we purchased a team pass for an upcoming trap shoot. And we invite Scott to come on that with our group to befriend him, right? We want to invite him into our life. and We want to enter into his. Through that, establish great friendships. Scott starts coming to Bible study. Fast forward a little bit. He goes. He starts dating that girl real seriously. He comes to one of our conferences, the SEAT conference, him and this girl. And at the SEAT conference, like we're going to have here in a couple of weeks, there's this big Eucharistic adoration night. And Scott's in there, and he's crying. And turns to his girlfriend and said, hey, can we step outside and you talk to you? Go outside in the hallway. He goes, you know, uh, the Lord's really moving in my life. And I just feel like he's calling us to break up because he's asking me to go to seminary. And they both have this moment together, you know, wanting to follow the Lord's will. So agree to break up, enter seminary. That's what we talk about when sometimes it's not always easier, but it's better. Like, like she was feeling that right there, I think. You know? Fast forward, <laughs> Scott Schimmler is here in St. Louis at As Kenrick his, Seminary, yeah. gets ordained, is now the vocation director for the Archdiocese Father of Omaha. Father Scott, Scott Schimmler, yeah. right? Complete stud of a guy, just awesome. Love him to death. Uh, that's a great illustration of inviting someone into our life. For me, 
one of my favorite group of guys I got to accompany. Uh, these guys are rowdy, high energy guys, big partiers at their house on Friday night. They had like the sex room, the keg room oh, and the geez. drug room, right? He's That's like, intense. Uh, but I knew God was just calling me to enter in their life. So one afternoon on, on a weekday, I'd knock on their front door out of the blue and just say, Hey guys, can I come in and hang out? Ask them some questions. We start playing dominoes on a Monday night. And through that, God really opened the door for some beautiful things to happen. And, and it wasn't anything I did other than a willingness to enter into their life. I just kind of jumped into their where life. Where it's messy. Where it's messy. Yeah. So prayer, ask questions, share life. That's kind of the three, the three big things awesome. there. Okay, so we're going to end just uh, maybe like a one-minute commercial here for the SEEK conference. It's going to be in St. Louis. It's Focus's national conference in January, January 1st through 5th. Why should people come and why should they come with other people from their parish? Yeah. At the end of the day, I would say come and experience the hope of the church. It's not just for college students, It's right? not just for college students. Bring your college students. Sure. Bring your kids. Uh, bring your kids' friends. Bring your parishioners, your neighbors. Uh, last year, we had 17,000 people. About 50% of them were not college students, right? So we are not going to be alone there. People That's our right. age That's and right. above, right? Yeah. Now, there are a lot of college students from all over the country that it's are there, and so it's fun awesome. Because they have and such great energy. Oh, yeah, you yeah. go in, and it's, and it's wild, right? We'll have mass every day, different bishops. Cardinal Dolan's going to be coming back home, so we'll have home a nice home, Louis, homecoming for him. Uh, you know, you picture this, you're in the dome, and some people have been down there for mass with JP2 back in 1999. But you're in the dome before mass, you see... You know, hundreds of school flags are waving all over the place, all this energy. Uh, the entrance procession starts, and you could hear a pin drop in there. And just the reverence for the Eucharist and for our Lord. And you walk away having your own hope renewed in the future of the church and your own faith strengthened. So that, that's kind of my pitch to come down for that. Take two hours out of your day. Come down for Mass on one of the mornings. I think, Brian, are we doing something on Wednesday yeah, night, the get, Adoration you Night? Get individual keynote passes on Wednesday night. People can come down for Adoration free of charge, which is going to be great. We're going to have a St. Louis gathering. All week, there's a Making Missionary Disciples track, which is specific training about how to evangelize in your parish. So all the stuff that Dave's been talking about here. Father Mike Schmitz will he's, be he's there. Okay. You know, he's okay. Yeah, uh, right. uh, Father Josh Johnson. Um, so just a, yeah. Yeah, great, I mean, it's the best great and in the Catholic world, and it's a shot of hope in your life. And, you know, maybe you need that. Or maybe you feel strong in your faith, but you want to bring someone with you. So when you talk yeah, about yeah. accompaniment, like bring someone with you who needs it and uh, and let the Lord do his thing. David, it has been so great to have you to talk Thanks, today. Brian. Let's, Likewise. Uh, let's end with just a quick little model what we're talking about. Let's end with a prayer. Yeah, let's do that. And um, we'll, we'll be sent forth. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, amen. we just... Uh, we thank you for this time of grace together. We, uh, we ask you to send us out as missionaries, make us bold, make us prophetic, Lord. And we just pray for the lost. We pray for the lost sheep of the Archdiocese of St. Louis, for those who don't know your love and grace. We pray that you would open doors and opportunities for conversations, Lord, and ultimately you would just send your Holy Spirit to move people closer to you. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, David, for such a great conversation. Again, if you have questions that you want us to address on the podcast or topics you'd love to hear us talk about, email them in to evangelization at archstl.org. Like and subscribe and share with your friends. God bless.